Um, man, glad you guys are here this morning. Glad we have a packed house at the 9 a.m. Let's do it. Way to go. Um, yeah, woo, yeah. Um, hey, something special is happening today. I actually have a friend of mine teaching um, and a little backstory. His name's Daniel. Daniel, I guess you can go ahead and walk up. This is Daniel. He's going to walk up because he's going to teach at some point. So there's Daniel. Um, let's do the church thing and clap for Daniel. Um, and I guess we can move this more toward the center if that's good. Um, but a little backstory on Daniel. So a lot of you guys who've been coming here, you know my story and kind of what happened to me when I was at Belmont. And um, Daniel has just been here for my entire story in Nashville. In fact, the reason we became friends is because we were taking Koine Greek together. Um, and the reason we are so tight is because we had a study session with four other people that really wanted to study. And we're best friends because we didn't study at all and neither did anyone else as a consequence to our actions in that study session. So we just really bonded over our lack of attentiveness to studying Greek. And uh, that was freshman year and we've been friends ever since. And uh, Daniel is just one of the best friends I have in the world. And um, man, just, it's been so fun. We, I feel like we've just like led each other through the years, like that verse, iron sharpens iron. There's been seasons where he's just sharpened me and vice versa. And um, uh, a few years ago, I started a house church. I just felt God calling me to like start a house church with my closest friends, just kind of saying, hey, let's take advantage that we all love Jesus. Let's just take full advantage that we love hanging out and we love Jesus. And so we did that for a couple of years. And then I felt God calling me out of it. Um, but to hand off the house church to somebody else. And uh, I just remember walking with Daniel and being like, dude, I think the Lord wants you to lead this thing uh, as I step away and start something new. Um, uh, and he's been doing that for years. And uh, I'm just, I've just watched this guy uh, in, like, in integrity, just follow Jesus. Like his love for God is so infectious. If you know Daniel, you know that to be true. And so this is kind of a crazy moment for me personally, just like watching my friend that I met my freshman year in college all of a sudden teaching at a campus that I pastor. Really, it's all pretty dizzying. So um, I'm just so thankful. I'm so honored. You guys are about to receive a blessing. Um, and we try to say this anytime someone comes up for the first time to teach at Ruby that we haven't heard before, um, just for our own hearts, that, that you guys don't come and sit as, as consumers ready to critique someone you've never heard, but instead that we all just lean in as contributors, that, that we like are going, God, we're not just waiting for him to spoon feed us something amazing. We're gonna lean in and we're gonna listen with Daniel to the Holy Spirit. And, and we're gonna just listen for whatever God has for us, trusting that you are gonna speak, okay? So can we just all head nod and agree that we're just gonna lean in this morning, that we're gonna laugh at his jokes, whether they're funny or not. And we're just gonna support the message. If you wanna give a mm or an amen, go for it, all right? I want more of those too, by the way. I'm just kidding, um, <laughs> just kidding. But, but let's do it for Daniel, all right? So give him a hand, uh, Daniel, go for it. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, this thing on, we hear each other. I'm gonna hear you guys, you guys can hear me. Um, certainly, I hope. So, Josh asked me to, he, he gave me the opportunity to teach this morning a couple weeks ago, it was like a week and a half, and I was coming off of this midweek really fun trip that I had just taken, okay? And it's one of those trips that, it was kind of unexpected and it just rocked my world. It became like this epic, I was down in Chattanooga, it was a ton of fun. I was like, wow, I went with one of my good friends and it was a great experience and I was so, so thankful for it. The next day, um, which was a Thursday, I'm like telling this dude, man, I'm so glad that we did this. Wasn't that so much fun? He's like, yeah, it was awesome. And I was like, okay, cool, like this is fun. And then I get this text from Josh, he's like, hey, and spoiler warning, there's spoiler coming. He said, hey, would like 
to know if you maybe want to teach at, at Ethos. It's going to be on Philippians 4. There's the spoiler. And it's going to be a life rooted in gratitude. Another spoiler. And I was like, oh, I got a lot coming up next couple weeks, Josh. I don't know. But then I thought, really? After this great, fun, like awesome experience, and I'm sitting here thinking like how awesome it was and how thankful I am with it. And it, it honestly felt like this, okay? It felt like Jesus was driving by in a pickup, rolled his window down, was like, hey, you coming with me or not? And let me tell you something, when that happens to you in your life, you do not tell Jesus that you gotta be up early in the morning. You just go, okay? So that's what I did. I just jumped on. So we're gonna be in Philippians chapter four. We're gonna talk about gratitude. And before we get there, I'm gonna give us two different levels of context, okay? We're gonna dive in. I love context. I love history and like where we're at in the Bible. And so I'm two different levels. The first level is how the church started. So we're gonna do the story of how the Philippian church actually came about. And then the second level, we're gonna talk about the letter itself. Who wrote it? Why did someone write it? Who was it to? This church, right? <clears throat> and so that, that helps me incredibly when I'm reading a passage, and so I wanna do that with us this morning. And the beginning of the church starts in Acts chapter 16, Acts written by Luke, and he tells us, in, uh, starting in verse 6 of chapter 16, that Paul and Silas are wandering around Asia. They're traveling because the Holy Spirit has forbid them to teach the word in Asia. I don't know what, how that works, right? They're just like, nope, don't teach the word in Asia. So they're traveling, and they try to go to this place called Bithynia. Turns out, Luke tells us, that the Spirit of Jesus forbid it. So they didn't go there either. Very cool, right? Like, what is that? How does the spirit of Jesus forbid you to do something? I plan on incorporating that into my life when people ask me to do stuff. I've got a truck, right? So I'm always helping people move. I'm like, ah, spirit of Jesus, sorry, can't do it. <laughs> um, anyway, they're traveling. They're being forbidden to go different places. And they end up in this place called Troas, which is like modern day Turkey on the coast. We've been there. Um, super fun. It's a great place to go cliff jumping. Um, they're there, and Paul's sleeping one night, and he has a dream. And in this dream, there's a man. He's a Macedonian man, and he, he tells Paul, hey, come, come to Macedonia. Help us. And so naturally, Paul wakes up the next morning and is like, all right, Silas, round it up. Spirit of Jesus, he's not forbidding us anymore. He's empowering us. We're going. And so he goes. And they end up in this place called Philippi, which is in Macedonia, and they are doing their thing as they do. They're teaching in the synagogue, and they meet a woman named Lydia, and she becomes the first Christian convert in Philippi. And Lydia, super tight, turns out. She's got a nice house. She invites them to stay with her while they're teaching and doing their missionary activity. And so Paul and Silas get room and board. They're hanging out. They're in Philippi. And then what, of course, happens with these dudes other than they're preaching the gospel, they're talking to people, and they're ruffling feathers. Yeah, um, they're ruffling some feathers, and the authorities, the people in charge, the people in power, see that, and they're like, nah, probably not. And so they take Paul and Silas, they beat them up, and they throw them in jail. Unjustly, they toss them in jail. And Luke tells us 
that that first night that they're in jail, Paul and Silas are up doing super weird stuff, leading a worship service in this prison, okay? So they're chained to the wall, and they can't lift their hands because they're chained. And the text points out specifically that the other prisoners are listening to them. And then naturally, supernaturally, their earthquake breaks out. Does an earthquake break out? An earthquake just happens. And it breaks open the front door, and the chains are released. Bad chains, maybe. Um, And then our guy, tough look for the jailer, who was, one, asleep on the job. Two, he slept through the earthquake. That's a bad look for your LinkedIn profile. Jailer who sleeps through his job and the earthquake. He wakes up, and he sees that the front door is open. It's like, oh, rough. He sees like shackles on the ground. He's like, another rough, rough, tough look for me. And instead of maybe facing the consequences of that, he, he pulls his sword and he's getting ready to kill himself. And that, that's a, again, this, is a, this happened. It's a real situation that actually happened in Paul and Silas pop out of nowhere, great timing. And they say, whoa, 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 whoa. We're all still here. We're all in here. You're good. And the jailer, obviously, having had this, I mean, almost killing himself, he has this experience where he's like, oh my gosh. And it, it revolutionizes him and he falls on his knees and he tells Paul and Silas, or he asks them, what can I do to be saved like you guys are? And so that's how this church in Philippi starts. It starts with Lydia. It starts with a really bad jailer and his family. And then I think the text leads us to assume that maybe a lot of these prisoners too, who were listening in on this worship service. And so we fast forward now to the writing of this letter. And this is long time after the fact. And it turns out Paul again, our dude, original bad boy, he's in jail again. And he's writing this letter to what seems like a pretty healthy church. He's writing, and there's a couple big themes throughout the letter. And the first is encouragement. Sorry, that's the second. The first is thanksgiving, okay? The first one is he's thanking them. And he's thanking them for their continued support of his ministry, especially while he's been in prison. Because apparently some of the other churches who were supporting him maybe dropped out of that dropped out of that support. And he's saying, thank you. And then then the second point, like I said, is encouragement. He's encouraging them to continue to live life for Jesus. Even despite of the struggle, despite of persecution, live life for Jesus. And a piece of that is this idea of striving, striving for your heavenly citizenship, right? And this idea of heavenly citizenship is something that I really like, and so I'm going to try to explain it to you because I, I love this idea for my own life. And it, it really helps me. <clears throat> and so this idea of heavenly citizenship is not that complicated, but we don't talk about it a ton. Um, but basically, it's like, hey, governments, authorities, powers, they have certain ways of doing things. And Rome at the time had certain ways of doing things. America, we have certain ways of doing things. And you might not have the Constitution memorized. Maybe you can't recite the Bill of Rights. Maybe you can, that's tight. Um, But it does in some way 
help navigate how you live as a citizen. And so you pay your taxes and you get the benefits of being a citizen, right? You can kind of come and go as you please for the most part. Um, what, you can vote, which is pretty sweet. And so there's just certain ways of living if you're a citizen of a certain country. And the, po- and the point here is that if you're in Christ, right, Jesus came and inaugurated his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so if you are a Christian, you are not a citizen of America, first and foremost. You're a citizen of heaven, first and foremost. And that point is something that we can latch on to because we're going to come back to it a couple more times during this text. Um, and so that's, that's the flyby. We were just flying. We're 30,000 feet in the air. We're looking down. We can see the whole letter, right? It's not that big. It's only four chapters. But now we're going to parachute down into chapter four. We're going to start in verse four. Um, if you're using one of these Bibles, we're on page 570, 571. It's only two pages. It's, it's very easy. And we're going to start in verse four. And I'm just going to read it for us. So follow along. <clears throat> Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the peace of God will be with you. It's probably weird hearing me drink. Josh, you do better at that, I'm sure. Okay, let's unpack that. <clears throat> this is Paul. He's in his conclusion of the letter, and he's saying goodbye, right? He's, he's ending it. And, and compared, like I said, to some of Paul's other letters, this is a quite pleasant letter. He's, he's very happy. It's up, uplifting. He's not getting the church in trouble for anything, like 1 Corinthians, for instance, Instead, he's pleading with them to push forward in their life, right? Push forward. Live, live like this. This is how Christians live. This is how citizens of heaven live. And this is a person whose life is established in gratitude, right? So I would argue that a citizen of heaven is a gratuitous person, and it's a person who has constant rhythms of gratitude in their life. We're going to get there, right? I'm going to explain that, but that's my point. This is what we're going to argue here. And another piece that I would submit to us this morning is that a person whose life is established in gratitude is also a person whose life is established in rejoicing. Okay, so now we're going to unpack that. And let's clarify this idea of gratitude. And um, I'm also somewhat of a scientist myself, okay? Um, Is gratitude thankfulness? Yeah. Is it just living living a tip? Gratuity. Potentially, right? Um, maybe, but like I said, I'm a scientist, so I did some research, and um, there's a super, super cool, in-depth research thing that I use. It's called Google, and I just jumped right into it, and like one of the first things that popped up was this article from Psychology Today. Sounds pretty cool. I was like, man, my research is done, because they gave me this 
awesome definition of gratitude. It's a couple, couple paragraphs long. And again, bear with me because we're just going to read it. I thought it was so good. I'm just going to read it to you. It's incredible. And I found it in five seconds. <laughs> gratitude is an emotion ex- expressing appreciation for what one has. It is a recognition of value independent of monetary worth. Spontaneously generated from within, it is the affirmation of goodness. So good. Research shows, science research, shows that people differ in the degree to which they are inclined to experience and express gratitude. As a result, gratitude is said to exist both as a temporary feeling and also as a dispositional trait. In both cases, gratitude involves a process of recognizing first what one has obtained and second, that there's an external source for that good outcome. (laughs) So keep going. I'm, I'm still reading. This is so good. As a social emotion, right? So as an emotion between people and community, gratitude strengthens relationships. It roots, its roots run deep in evolutionary history, emanating from survival, from the survival value of helping others and being helped in return. Studies show, science, that there are specific areas of the brain that are involved in experiencing and expressing gratitude. And gratitude is a spontaneous feeling, but increasingly, research demonstrates its value as a practice, that is, making a conscious effort to count one's blessings. Studies show that people can deliberately cultivate gratitude, and there are important social and personal benefits to doing so. Guys, this is not a Christian article. It's, it's, it's secular, not that I know of. I mean, it's, it's, it's just psychological research, but it turns out that the brain is wired a certain way, and even these people who are writing this article are like, gratitude, you should try it. It's pretty cool. Not, I mean, there's, there's like a list of all these amazing things, and we're going to come back to that. The process, like that whole, the process isn't finished until you recognize the source for good outcomes. I love that. And, and as a Christian, clearly, right, the, the direction that we get to go with that is God is the source of those good outcomes. He is the source of all the good outcomes. He's the giver of good things. And so that idea and that definition of gratitude, keep that in your mind as we move forward. We're gonna go back to the text uh, where Paul tells the Philippians in verse four, rejoice, and he doubles up on it. Rejoice in the Lord, again I say, rejoice. When people double up on stuff, we want to pay attention, right? Okay, and this, this word for rejoice, it's happened now over 12 times in this tiny little letter. So when an author of the Bible keeps smacking us over the head with, a, with something, and we want to pay attention to it. In, in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says the same exact thing, rejoice in the Lord. And so in his conclusion, as he wraps up the letter, we want to be readers who pay attention to the things that our authors are saying. That's just being a good reader. And so we're gonna do that. We're gonna try to pay attention to it. And what I found that stuck out to me is that Paul's using the imperative verb form here. Pretty cool, right? Because imperative is a command. It's not a suggestion, right? So it's not a declaration like, I am Daniel, right? That's just a declarative sentence. Imperative sentence is, go to bed, 
right? <laughs> and he's telling us, rejoice, okay? So, so here's another example. I'm gonna tell you all right now, go home today, and if you own your own home, or even if you're a renter, I want you to winterize your outdoor faucets. Do it. No, I'm serious. Sermon is over. Do that. Or else you're going to end up like me. And we've had one week of cold weather, and I already have a busted faucet. So go home. My, my hose, the thing on the end of the hose, it burst because it got, it, it got froze, you know. Um, so go home and, and just do that. Get the little insulating caps, put them on there. And winterize your faucets. Do it. That's what Paul's telling us with rejoice. Do it. Go home and do it. Just rejoice. Be people who rejoice. The following verses, okay, so everything after verse 4, which is just, hey, rejoice. Again, rejoice. He lays out more characteristics of what I think are heavenly citizens, it says, let your reasonableness be known, or your gentleness, perhaps. Don't be anxious about anything. Thank God. Give him your worries. And then you're going to get some peace, and it's, it's a special kind of peace, and it surpasses all understanding, which, right, already implies I can't understand it. You cannot understand it. It's, it's that deep. It's that special. And then he goes on to list these, this, this other stuff about, you know, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable, think on these things. Think on those things. And then the kicker, right, at the end, he says, and, and also, by the way, whatever you have seen me do, whatever you have received from me, whatever you've heard from me, whatever you have seen me do, do that. And Paul here, I, I see this and I'm thinking, okay, Paul's setting himself up as the staple child of heavenly citizenship propaganda. You guys have seen propaganda before, the big posters with the woman who's like, when the World War II, they're trying to get ladies to work in factories to, because all the men were, were gone here in America. And then there's German propaganda, which is crazy. But this is Paul's, like, he's the propaganda, Right? Propaganda can be true, and it is true here. We are supposed to live like Paul. It starts with this command to rejoice, which is pretty simple, pretty easy, right? Well, not really, not when you, not when you lay it out like this. And so who can mimic Paul? Who can do what he's advocating here? I mean, the guy also tells the Thessalonian church, rejoice always. This, this is all throughout his letter, and his instruction is to rejoice. And I have to think, that as the Philippians, right, they get this letter. They've been sending this dude support. They know he's in jail again. They read this letter where he's constantly saying, thank you, rejoice. They know he's in prison. I have to think as they're grouped up together in their house churches or, or whatever it is, they're like, man, you guys remember how our church even started? Paul and Silas getting completely destroyed, beat up, bloodied, thrown in jail, and then they had the gumption to start a worship service. Wow, how special, right? And they're thinking like, man, Paul wants us to do that? He wants, to be, he wants us to be rejoicers on that level? 
Yeah, when Paul's laying out what it should look like for citizens of heaven to be rooted in gratitude, he wants the Philippians to think of that. And he wants us as readers to think of that. That's our staple. That's what we do. As we look at that and we practice these things, right? So we don't just talk about it, we practice it. And that's huge. And honestly, it's a little overwhelming to me. Um, I'm thinking that even if you are a person who feels grateful, a person who is thankful for the things in their lives, I would guess that maybe even you are feeling the tension with this, the pressure. Because I know that I don't do it like Paul and Silas, right? Like, I don't. I don't rejoice always in the imperative. And, and so when I hear that citizens of heaven are people who are gratuitous, who are rejoicing, who are people who live lives rooted in routine of giving thanks to God, I'm a little overwhelmed. And the painful reality, I think, and maybe it's not even painful, but the reality is that this might sound like too much for you too. It might sound like a lofty aspiration, something that okay, we should do that, we should, but Paul doesn't say you should rejoice, he says do it, right? And, and gratitude might not come naturally for you. That article speaks to that. There are people with different levels of just like intrinsic thankfulness. And it might not come naturally. In fact, you also might be in a season of your life where you're not seeing very many good outcomes, right? That also can be true. So when the article says you're like giving thanks for these good outcomes, you might be thinking, I haven't seen a good outcome in a very long time. I want you to know that that's okay. It's all right. We're good. And and Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, anticipates us feeling that pressure. He, He does anticipate us feeling that tension which is why he says in chapter three, all right, so we're gonna go backwards a little bit. In chapter three, verse 12, he's talking a, a really mad game about the things that he's done in his life. And then starting in, uh, in, in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this, this referring to the resurrection or the completion of his life, or am already perfect, but I press on. And I make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Wow. If you're looking for some inspiration this morning, Right there. I'm pretty sure we all have like two or three coffee mugs with those verses on it at home. Just saying. But Paul understands, right? He understands that this is a journey. He knows that the life of a Christian and the life of a citizen of heaven is the life of someone who is in process. They're growing They're standing up, they're falling, they're getting up, they're going back down. In one sense, Paul understands this and he's willing to sit with the fact that there is in 
a sense, a long matriculation process into your citizenship, right? That's true. It is. And, and I think that Paul's own life is a testament to that, right? This is years into Paul's ministry. This is years into Paul having many ups and downs. I encourage you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, read the book of Acts. And, you'll, and then you'll know, or read Romans. And then you'll know like, oh, this dude, he's definitely got some stuff he's working through. <laughs> but we push forward because we are in Christ. And as, as Paul says, Christ Jesus has made us his. He did this process that made us his. And so we are forever and always a people of rejoicing because of that. We're people with lives rooted and established in gratitude. Does that make sense? So this idea, it, it reminds me, this idea of Christian perseverance, it brings to mind a quote um, from a very, very wise man that I, I, I've read it somewhere, read it somewhere. The, the wise man's name is Albus Percival Wolfric Bryan. Dumbledore. Right? And he, he tells Harry Potter, he was a wizard, you may have heard of him. He says, it's important to fight and fight again and to keep fighting. For only then can evil be kept at bay, though never quite eradicated. That's a, that's a big quote there. And, and it, in a sense, is, is a condensed version of the Christian life, this idea of getting knocked down and getting back up. And it's potent, I think, to the idea that Paul's talking about. I mean, gratitude, the stuff that we read in that article, doesn't that sound like a battle worth waging, right? Doesn't that sound like it's worth going after? And so as Christians, as people who are citizens of heaven, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we push on. We strain towards the goal like Paul. And, and here's the deal. We are people who do that even when it gets difficult and even when sometimes we fail. We keep fighting. And so as we, as we look ahead and we trudge forward, I want to now shift our direction towards some, some practical application. Well, how, how, there's a lot of going on, rejoicing, gratitude. How do we put this into practice? And for some of you, you'll be like, oh, I do that. That's awesome. Yeah, totally. Um, others will be like, I should try that. So first, right, first thing that I think we can take away right now and be affected with in our lives is that we should appreciate what we have. We should express gratitude for the things that we like. Y'all, this is helpful. This actually will help your life. It's, it, it's crazy. It's, it is connected to that peace that Paul talks about, right? That peace that surpasses understanding. You will get into a rhythm of loving and thanking God. Crazy stuff will happen and you will feel a peace that you cannot describe to other people because you are rooted in gratitude in your life. That's for real. So we should incorporate that into our daily routines. Well, how does that work? Um, 
it's cool because there's really no right or wrong, wrong way to do it. And I know some folks who do what they call a Thanksgiving journal, where they have a journal that's not filled with their daily muses. It's filled with a couple things that they were thankful for during the day. Um, I know folks who have an accountability thankful person, right? And so they text each other at least three things that they're thankful for every day. That kind of stuff, that'll help. Um, if you're like me, right, then being thankful, I can, I can get wrapped into being cynical sometimes. I'm like, ah, this is, this is no good. The way that I fight for thankfulness is I go for a walk. Truthfully, I get out and I go to a park and I like within, within like 45 seconds of me getting outside walking, I'm like, oh, this is so pretty. Like, <laughs> thank you, God. Thank you. And then it, it like brings me back and the cynicism, that, that like weight that I felt just flies away. And so there's no right or wrong way to do this, what I'm, what I'm communicating here is try and find the way that works for you. I know what helps me, find what helps you. Next, we push forward and we recognize our favorable outcomes, but we also recognize the source for our favorable outcomes. We acknowledge God where he is blessing us, right? And so James chapter 1 Verse 17, James tells us that uh, every good and perfect gift comes from God. So we acknowledge those areas in our life where we see God making his mark. And we remember that gratitude is not complete until we do that, until we acknowledge the source. And, and the cool thing is that if you are a citizen of heaven, then by God's grace, we get to acknowledge the truest source, right? So you can have micro sources. Josh asked me to preach, and so I'm thankful. Hey, Josh, you're the source that I'm up here right now. How cool, thank you, right? But as a Christian, here's the, the kicker is not everybody gets to do this because people who are not citizens of heaven, they don't get to tap into that deeper, ultimate reality, which is the deepest, most pure source of the things that happen, the good things, is God. He is the one who is orchestrating this. He is doing it, and so we get to tap into that. And if you haven't tapped into it, you should. You totally should. It's beautiful. Um, third, we're gonna, we're gonna talk on this social aspect, okay? So we've talked about how you can incorporate routines, talking about identifying God as the source for what you're thankful for. And third, we do this in community because like that article said, gratitude strengthens social bonds. Being gratuitous, rejoicing together, Paul and Silas had such a great relationship because they were rejoicers together, right? They traveled all around. They, I mean, it was, it was incredible, right? And so how, how actually sick is it that God, who absolutely loves to be in communion with his people, not only that, but also loves that, that his people are in communion with each other, would set up such an easy, like, hey, walk this way into that. He just sets it up. It's like a very, very slow pitch, but it's, it's not too slow, so it's like a grounder. It's a, it's a 
semi-nicely weighted pitch that you can just nail. So if you're trying to build relationships, right, join into some thankfulness with some folks. And so create rhythms of talking to other people, those who you're close with, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, whether it's your friends, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Create rhythms in your house church. A lot of us here are in house churches and there should be a space to talk about what you're thankful for with those people who are in your house church. There absolutely should be. And honestly, I think we do a pretty good job of that at the Ruby. If you've been coming here for very long, you know that, that sometimes things get a little strange and we group our chairs together. And at first it's like, oh, please don't. But then like next thing you know, you're telling somebody, you know what I'm really thankful for? My mom, she's just coming to see me next weekend and I'm just, it's going to be a fun weekend. She's probably going to buy me lunch. <laughs> like, and the person's like, oh, that is so awesome. And you're like, I just met you, but could we do this thing? Could we be friends, right? I've done it here in this building. That's what we've done. It's incredible. And, and it's a beautiful thing that is part of what I'm encouraging here and what Paul's encouraging so in that vein, right, what I want to do now is move forward into a time of communion that is rooted in us rejoicing, okay? And I'm going to draw, I'm going to draw another connection here. Paul tells us rejoice. Again, I tell you rejoice. And we want to be people whose, whose lives are rooted in gratitude, And so I want to bring us back to that verb, Um, and not to get too strange on us, but the verb is, uh, in the Greek, it's kara, right? Karas. And it's where we get the word eucharist, which is just another word for communion. And so here we are sitting, you guys didn't even know it, we've got this rhythm of giving thanks. And what are you doing in communion but giving thanks for the bread, the body, and the, and the juice, the blood, right? The body to remind us of what? That Jesus came near. That we have a God who did not stay far off, but instead came close to us, bridged the gap in the bread and in the juice. We're reminded that the blood of Christ was spilled for his people. That is and will forevermore be something for us to rejoice about as a church. As a body of Christ, we always have reason to rejoice in the Eucharist as we go to communion. Um, we rejoice and we, and we give thanks because God's done the work of coming near. Um, today, as, as you do take communion, if you, if you wanna do your thing and group up, do it. And talk to some folks what you, how you're feeling grateful or how you're not feeling grateful, but you wish that you could feel grateful. If you want to be by yourself, sit there, chill, do that too. That's, I want you to have the freedom. Josh says it all the time. This place, we want you to feel like it's your living room. Um, I just sit on the couch in my living room. So, that's, but I also have really deep conversations in my living room. 
Um, another thing that I thought was really cool is if you want to pull out your phone and give yourself a little voice memo of stuff you're thankful for, I found that to be incredibly helpful as well. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go to communion, and you can, there are tables back here. I'm like a stewardess. <laughs> Exits. Um, yeah, tables back here. Exit towards the middle, come back around. Tables in the front. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is special. This is important for us to hear this. And Lord, I pray for the folks out here who haven't felt gratitude in a while, who just have been struggling to reach gratitude. And I pray for the strength for them today to remember that there is a reason to be grateful. Lord, during this time, um, help us to honor it. Show us something that we did not see before. Show us something that's brand new for us today, Lord. And give us the strength to push forward as citizens, not of an earthly power, but of heavenly citizens. In Jesus' name, amen.